0: Hi there, I'm Tom Jackson
1: and I'm Gabriella Mulligan
0: and welcome to a very special edition of Disrupt Podcast. We've teamed up with the lovely people at Quona Capital, 10x Entrepreneur, Catalyst Fund and Knife Capital to put together a four-part series on the African venture capital space, how it works, what its dynamics are and what is happening in the sector.
1: Over the next four episodes, we'll really be digging into venture capital looking at its business model, how startups and VCs can work together to build Africa's tech ecosystem, and what issues still remain to be resolved.
0: In this episode, the first of the series, our guests take us through the nuts and bolts of VC, defining what venture actually is, telling us where VC firms get their money from, how they make money themselves, and what an investor actually does all day. We will also address misconceptions entrepreneurs may have about venture capital, why it is there and what it can do for them.
1: In three subsequent episodes, to be released each week, we'll dig further. In episode two, we'll discuss the actual processes behind doing a VC deal and the various ways in which investors can exit a startup and make a return. In episode three, we'll look at the dynamics of the startup investor relationship and why it's so important to get it right. And in episode four, we'll discuss what makes a good VC, the backgrounds and motivations of these very important people and the issue of diversity in this space.
0: By the end of this podumentary, you should have a better understanding of what venture in Africa actually is, how it works, and what its dynamics are. So whether you're a startup founder, an aspiring entrepreneur, an angel investor, or just someone considering a career in venture capital, we hope you find the content valuable. Once again, many thanks to our partners, Corona Capital, TEDx Entrepreneur, Catalyst Fund, and Knife Capital for making this series possible. Please enjoy.
1: Investment into the African tech startup ecosystem is skyrocketing, with total funding trebling over the course of a record breaking 2021 to pass the $2 billion mark for the first time, according to Disrupt Africa data. 2022 looks likely to be another landmark year, with more than $1 billion pumped into the ecosystem in January and February alone.
0: As funding increases, so too as the number of investors backing African tech startups. We tracked at least 771 different disclosed investors in 2021, more than double the previous year's number. This series is taking a deeper look at the people that make up the majority of those investors, venture capitalists or venture capital companies. But before we get too detailed, let's first just establish what exactly a venture capitalist is. So quite simply, I would say it's
2: capital that is invested in early stage businesses that have really large potential, but obviously carry significant risk of failure too. So what does that mean? Uh, a venture capital firm typically has an investment thesis, or we do anyway. And then backs founding teams building companies that could be worth a significant amount of money in the future if they succeed. The risk uh, of an early stage company, obviously, as I mentioned, is huge, though. Uh, and there needs to thus be a very high uh, potential upside to justify taking that risk.
1: That was Johan bassini partner at Corona Capital a venture firm focused on fintech that can expand access for underserved customers and small businesses in emerging markets. His definition, which focuses on risk and growth, is widely accepted.
3: Yeah, venture capitalist is, uh, I I guess, part of an organization or a partner in a a VC firm that um, provides risk capital into early stage, emerging young businesses that have high growth potential. So it's important that all those things are are, are there. You know, there needs to be growth it's earlier stage businesses, and because of that stage, um, there are more risk involved, and therefore, by the principles of finance, um, hopefully, are more returns um, at, at the at the end. So, the VC provides equity funding, knowledge, networks, funding, um, and shares the risk you know to the entrepreneurial business, and then the investee company exchanges shareholding and um, I guess autonomy to a degree to gain a growth partner.
0: Kiet Sell there from South Africa-based venture capital investment manager Knife Capital, which is also co-owner of entrepreneurship development programme Grindstone Accelerator and post-seed VC fund Grindstone Ventures. The basic premise of traditional VC then is the same in Africa as it is in Silicon Valley or anywhere else in the world, but increasingly different types of VC firms with slightly differing motivations are starting to enter the market. This is Mylis Carraro, who is Managing Director of Catalyst Fund, an accelerator that supports inclusive tech innovators in emerging markets.
4: These days, I think the range of what you would call venture capital funds is actually really expanding, especially as there's a lot more actors wanting to look at this space. You have more types of venture capital funds emerging, uh, micro funds, you have family offices, high net worth individuals coming in, um, and they have a desire of doing more than just realizing fund returns. Uh, And that's what I mean by other types of value. So I think it's actually a description that might
1: evolve over time and keep changing as the landscape uh, changes as well. So who are all these new investors? Here's my lease again.
4: So you have, for example, very micro funds who have limited pools of capital and a mandate to do very small checks. You have family offices coming in that can deploy various kinds of instruments and they're from debt to equity from grants and blend it all together, for example. You have high net worth individuals that start investing, for example, with a systems change view and want to build portfolios of investments that also deploy different type of uh, investment instruments, and, and that is shifting the landscape overall because it's no longer necessarily a view of venture capitalists as just one that has to leverage equity to achieve extremely high returns, um, but they're prioritizing also other kinds of, of value for societies, for the economies, for the environment, um, and that's, I think, what's really interesting.
0: Aside from being about making big bets for potentially big returns then, VC also has the potential to change the world. Johan concurs. I believe venture capital plays a catalytic
2: role, though, in innovation and growth around the world. So uh, if you look at many of the technology companies that you and I engage with today, a majority have been venture-backed, or many of them have been venture-backed. So if you look at uh, at the US VC industry, uh, probably the best known when it comes to talking about the venture capital model. Uh, companies like uh, Kleiner, Perkins, Sequoia, Andreessen uh, have backed companies to, to, to really are challenging the convention in their category. Uh, and these are companies, again, like you and I would, would use very often. Uber, WeWork, uh, Airbnb, um, uh, Slack, uh, SpaceX, et cetera, et cetera.
1: But why does VC exist in the first place?
2: If you look at the rules of capital markets, um, someone with an idea or a new technology often don't have any other institution to turn to other than family and friends, otherwise venture capital. So, generally, financial regulation limits the interest banks can charge on loans. And the risk inherent in any startup or any founding team usually does not uh, um, justify those capped interest rates, which means the price needs to be much higher to justify taking that risk. So, bankers will often only finance a new business to the extent that they have hard assets. And very often, these early-stage businesses don't have those hard assets. And that's where venture steps in. What, then, is a VC firm's business model? Here's Johan again. If you're taking real venture risk, you're going to expect a couple of failures, uh, and then a few of them, which will be middling outcomes, so kind of, you know, 2 to 3x maybe your money, um, and then there'll be one or two real superstars that shoot the lights out, right? And, uh, you know, I've heard some venture firms talking about expectation of losing kind of five to six out of 10 companies will fail outright. And then two to three, you'll kind of, you know, do okay. And then one will just really do extremely well, which is why, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you have this importance of focusing on businesses that can return outsized um, or, or give you outsized returns because it needs to cater for those high losses.
1: The people that actually run VC firms are usually called general partners, but very rarely are they actually investing much of their own money into the startups they fund. Most of the money comes from people or companies known as limited partners. Here's Kiat.
3: VC fund management businesses need to get that pool of money that they invest from themselves as well as from you know, other limited partners, which, which, which is not to get too technical on the structure of a VC firm, but the, the, the general partners are the ones that you would see and meet and, and, and inter- interface with. They have some skin in the game, some, some money, but obviously if it's, let's say, a $100 million fund and uh, it's not as if uh, sometimes they do but not as if that uh, team has, has all the money they go to to the market um market they offering to to so called lps limited partners that back that man, vc fund management team to manage that pool of capital so generally it is some development funding institutions banks um pension funds angel investors which are which are high net worth individuals you group all of that together and um, and create a VC fund. And every time you make an investment in an underlying business, you draw down that money
0: from the, um, from the partners. So there's quite a broad range of types of limited partner out there, increasingly ready to back Africa-focused VC companies with their cash. Yet it is important for any GP to pick the right LP. Here's my lease again.
4: I think it's up to the GP and you know, the fund managers to determine which capital is the right kind of capital to achieve your goals as a fund. For example, at the Catalyst Fund, we always leveraged so far um, investments from foundations, governments, and corporate foundations because of our impact mandate. And in the future, we'll actually diversify and seek out return-seeking investors as well. And we fundamentally believe that those backers were the right ones to enable our growth to this date, and that the investments that were made uh, are actually just smart investments that will yield above market returns, even with an impact lens. But having having LPs that were realigned with our mission it was critical in making sure that we were selecting the right companies. That um, we we were keeping ourselves accountable right to that mission. And so it's I think it's a careful selection from the GP even if the pool of possible OPs is quite wide.
1: Most GPs do, however, invest some of their own money into their funds. Here's Johan.
2: So it definitely isn't only investing other people's money. So absolutely, uh, a uh, a, a VC firm typically would be made up of one or two or three or or actually quite a few partners. Partners would contribute a portion of the fund or what's, what's being invested in companies themselves. Uh, that would be between 1% and 2%, but can be dramatically higher. Uh, that investment then means that there's alignment with the LPs who are putting money into the fund. So if the fund does not return any capital, the individuals, uh, individual partners in this case would, be,
0: uh, would would really feel that pressure. So how, at the end of the day, does a GP and a VC fund actually make any money? That is usually through something called the 2 and 20 model, which Kiet describes. 2% management fee on the funds under management. And um,
3: once the investor funds have been paid back as well as some form of a hurdle for the time value of money, uh, the, the team shares in 20% of the of the upside. So the, the VC fund manager itself with the management fees are not particularly supposed to be that profitable because every time you draw down management fees from your from your investors you also <laughs> has have a little bit of a hurdle to get over. so you actually want to be as lean as possible while managing companies. but there is a huge upside you know if you if you turn turn that money into into five ten times fund size and get 20% of the upside you know that is so-called carried interest. Um, you have a vested interest for a long-term uh, successful underlying portfolio of businesses.
1: For VCs, then it's all about carried interest, the carry. Yet once again, we're starting to see some alternative models emerge, says Myles.
4: For instance, you may have you know first-loss tranches with investors that don't. Um, care as much about realizing fund returns, but want to catalyze greater investment dollars into a particular sector, and that uh, sometimes those investors may allow you to cover some of the fund expenses or management fees with, say, um, a grant or, or, or perhaps a, a revenue share type of agreement. Um, and this type of, of innovative structuring, I think, will lead to a bit of a business model 2.0 for venture funds.
0: New business models aside, most LPs have high return expectations, and so building a portfolio that will meet those expectations is a critical part of a VC's job. How do they go about it? Over to Kiet to take us through it.
3: So each VC has, I guess, slightly different nuances in terms of how they go about portfolio building. You know, it's, it's, it is, uh, you know There are as many variances as there are um, business models and companies out there. But on a whole, you look at, at, you know, five, ten times fund size in terms of ten times money. Um, the returns, because of the risks involved, need to be higher than inflation, higher than um, stock exchange, uh, more listed listed mature companies. So, therefore, it is usually 30 percent. Um internal rate of return on on fund and 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 higher than that you know, and then you you also need to look at the stage of v c fund so as you go more earlier stage in terms of seed funding risk you know that that number is closer to the ten times money as you then goes into into a bit maturer businesses as um your your risk starts declining and it's uh, and you can already see where this business is going it's got some customers you know maybe a little bit but less return expectations but then by portfolio building really look at 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 what is there already you know you you, you obviously have a mandate say we would invest in majority fintech businesses um, location ge- geographies you know we would look at businesses across Africa or, or sometimes a percentage of the fund is allocated for international businesses and so forth and you kind of look at that with within that if you if you have one business which is really shooting the lights out and you almost can see that this business is on its way to f- further rounds of capital and and a good exit one day you can maybe take a little bit more risk um, with with the rest of your portfolio and and vice versa you know you, you need one or two bankers that just really grow, steady growth, bringing up um, the, the potential downside, then you really need to shoot for the stars with, with one or two portfolio companies. And um, and the rest would just be uh, hopefully bringing up uh, some, some, some interesting metrics towards the end.
1: Here's my lease. A
4: lot of VC firms have a thesis-driven approach And so they go out and select ventures based on the thesis that they're trying to realize and uh, the expected returns over a period of of time that they're targeting. Um, They also build a portfolio based on their geographic focus. The market is extremely important. You have to study the market, understand the market evolution in order to then um, pick the right companies that, again, fit with the thesis. So, for example, um, at the Catalyst Fund, we do have a very thesis-driven approach to portfolio building. We are uh, about selecting companies that improve the financial resilience and the climate resilience of vulnerable and underserved communities across emerging markets, and uh, we do so by understanding what are the, what is the universe of solutions that helps us um, to to realize that thesis, and how can those solutions. Um, help one another or like together make sense right as, as a portfolio so um we therefore try to have sort of this outcome based approach uh, in building a portfolio of solutions that make sense like based on thesis um one that diversify and, and takes takes risks into account and so we want to diversify from a sector perspective and also a market perspective and then one that also um, diversifies in terms of the business model and this expected rate of return so we we because we as catalyst fund are about taking greater risks we may invest in companies in a portfolio where um that we deem more risky um, but with potential for a massive impact and some that are less risky with perhaps Still great, but lesser potential for what we would call um, dramatic impact um, on the financial resilience and income resilience side. But together, they make sense.
0: Jason Goldberg is founder of 10x Entrepreneur, an accelerated program that overcomes the barriers to growth for entrepreneurial executives. He says, though the theory of portfolio building is clear, at the beginning of the process, you just don't know how it's going to pan out.
5: I think many people have heard the you know the, the the general maths of VC, which is you know often it's it's one portfolio company pays for the fund, and then another two or three you know deliver really nice returns, and and ultimately kind of those are the companies that that deliver all all your upside and carry, and then you know a bunch fail and or you know kind of are the walking dead you struggle to exit them they never die but you don't you don't really exit them um, and that is true but you know actually that is what happens in in hindsight and and you actually don't know in f- up up front which company is going to land up falling into what bucket i mean you may have a higher sense of confidence on some deals than others but actually you just don't know how that cookie is going to crumble uh, on day one. And so the way you go about building a portfolio is actually different to the way you would describe the average VC portfolio, you know, at the end of the fund life. And so the way we go about trying to build uh, um, a portfolio is we we literally are are trying to make um, every investment successful. So every investment we need to believe can deliver a 10x return. It's got that potential. And every investment we are trying to, you know, um, risk manage. And so we're trying to take the major risks out of the picture. There's always a lot of risk even after you've done that. So that's not to say VCs are risk averse, but they're not dumb. And so they're trying to minimize the risk because even after you've done that, you know, it's very high risk. Um, and, and then, you know, you're always trying to as early as possible get a read on which ventures Are showing the lead indicators um, of success, which are showing earliest signs of traction, of exponential growth, of great founders who are scaling well. And then you just want to double down your support to unlock the success in in the ventures that have kind of, you know, that are the cream that's rising to the top. And, And so the you know, the way we build our portfolio is actually more emergent. Than maybe the way many people have heard of, just because you you often surprised by which ones really go big and surprised by which ones fail, because ventures fail for a thousand reasons you and almost all of them you couldn't have predicted, and that's why you know if you could have predicted them, you wouldn't have invested um, so that that's why you got to literally believe in every deal at the point of making an investment.
1: VC is known to be a long-term play, but what kind of time periods are we talking about when it comes to making investments and making a return on those investments? Here's Johan.
2: The time duration I've seen for many funds is anywhere between five and 10 years. Uh, The most common that I've seen anyway is is, uh, five to seven, uh, but normally it's seven plus two type thing, right, where you do allow for some businesses that maybe just take much longer to build and, and get into an exitable position uh but yes the uh you're typically looking at uh, I would probably say a third to half of the fund life cycle for deployment of capital and then the balance
0: for uh, active management as well as exits so if the lifetime for a single fund could be as long as a decade what on earth does a vc do all day uh, i would say it's divided very broadly
2: into two categories one is to find great deals so that's speaking to hundreds of startups uh, really looking at different categories of what themes are emerging, uh, which themes in different markets maybe have been more successful than others, and how that translates in, into my case into Africa. So, is there a lag perhaps in certain business models from Latin America or Asia? Uh, but it's really finding great businesses that you can uh, you, you can invest in. The second part of that is is portfolio management. So now you've invested in a company, and it depends what role you want to play. Uh, for us, we like to lead rounds, so we get very um, uh, engaged in companies we invest in, typically a board seat. Uh, that means sitting on remuneration committees, uh, helping out with, with hiring, having conversations around strategy. Uh, so, it really is getting very involved in the company. Uh, there's a third component, which I guess falls outside of those two, which is uh, engaging with, uh, with the broader ecosystem. Uh, in one case, it's managing LPs. There are certain requirements that they have with regards to uh, information rights and reporting, uh, and really making sure that they're aware of where you are and what you're doing to keep up that confidence that they have in you.
1: And here's Kiet on a VC's day-to-day
2: activities.
3: We specifically look at our day-to-day activities in in four blocks: find, make, grow, and realise. And and it also a little bit depends on the on the fund stage. You know, sometimes you're raising a new fund, meaning. Ourselves going out to pitch to investors and and ask them to to invest in the fund once you 've closed that fund, yeah, then you need to go find interesting business to in, businesses to invest in, so day to day activities there include really you know, attending conferences, meeting with entrepreneurs, (laughs) drinking a lot of coffee and and wine and and just just basically getting out there. If you sit behind your desk waiting for business plans to come in, you are not necessarily going to find the right businesses. You know, you need to to really build your, your VC brand. Then once you find an interesting business to invest in, you need to make that investment. And that includes due diligence, sort of homework on the business, looking at all the, the legal, financial, marketing, um, intellectual property, and and technical aspects of the business. You need to look at the valuation of all of that and the, the legal closing, you know, what minority protections do you have in place? How, what is the, you know, how, how does it work with board seats and those type of things? And then the hard work really starts in growing that portfolio and growing the businesses as a, as a you know, day-to-day activities really are sitting on the boards, but also just helping with market access, sometimes having to go and see clients with the portfolio company, you know, fighting fires when when there's something, looking at new hires and and, and just, you know, not get too involved in the, the operational side of the business because there is a team that needs to, to to really look at that and make the business sustainable, but just add value where you can. Towards a realization strategy, so that is an, a potential exit, or just you know what is what happens at the end of it because we need to um, turn
0: that business into some form of a liquidity. If you are one of those VCs that is actively engaged with your startups, what does that actually involve? Here's my lease.
4: We are a very hands-on investor, and what that means is that we first spend a lot of time with the startup teams, understanding what the challenges. Uh, are that they're facing and the kind of support that they really need urgently, but they can't afford, for example, or the gaps that they have in, in their team among the team members. And then we delve into that, with a team of experts on our side um, that can include um, experts, say, from product managers to data scientists to marketers to um, in ex investors that have really well connected with networks, um, and design basically a very specific uh, scope or plan. Uh, to um, to support the ventures and, and fill those gaps that we had identified. So we really roll up, roll up our sleeves and get in there with the founders and make sure that, um, that they're supported in all of those aspects that together we think are the most critical, most important. Um, and the goal, again, on our side is to pull the resources and expertise um, so that the companies achieve product market fit.
1: It's pretty clear then that being a venture capitalist is not as simple as giving a brilliant entrepreneur your money, sitting back and watching it grow. We ask Keert what the pressures of being a VC are.
3: Yeah, there is subtle pressures throughout the the, the process, but also depending on the stage of of fund, there's there's more or less pressure. Um, The the, yeah, yeah, there's just another business. You know, if you if, if you take investor money from anyone, uh, there is an expectation on, on return. You know, and the things that can go wrong is the pressures of, of deal flow, finding the, the wrong deals to invest in, or, or maybe I mean, because there's risk involved, some of these strategies are not going to work out. And usually the businesses who fail fail quicker than the businesses who succeed um, so suddenly it looks like you've got two failures on your books, and people starting to get uh, a bit stressed about that. And um, but yeah, and just the pressure of, of if you think running one business is, is 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 lots of pressure, think about running ten. You know, and um, and this, the you know there's there's always something in one of our portfolio companies which we need to either fix or add value to, and, and you know personality clashes sometimes, and how to handle situations. Johan has more to add.
2: Return expectations are typically really high. So you're looking at uh, a, you know, a bunch of LPs that normally are expecting um, a minimum hurdle return and then obviously uh, having some outsized returns on top of that. Um, and the ecosystem has gotten really competitive. Um, you know, I'd actually read a stat the other day that said something along the lines of how 95% of venture firms don't make money. Uh, so it's it's not a... a, 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 a kind of guaranteed return for anyone who does have capital to deploy.
1: Given all these pressures, then, how does a VC firm go about picking winners? To what extent is it an art, a science, or just down to good old luck?
2: I think venture is definitely both. It's both art art and science. Um, It's all about finding great teams who can tell a story that attracts a combination of great staff, great investors, and great customers. Uh, in a market sector that can offer outsized returns for us and uh, obviously for the, for the founding team as well. Um, does luck play a part? It does, absolutely. Uh, some businesses have thrived in COVID, for example, and some have really struggled. And no one could have seen an event like this coming. So there's an element of luck to, to, to some businesses uh, as well as an element of luck to some venture deals that happen where you just
0: happen to be at the right place at the right time. Mailees agrees picking winners involves a mix of different ingredients, but says some things are more science than art.
4: So you do have um, fundamentals that you have to look at, business fundamentals, you need economics, and really understand the trajectory of businesses, studying the market to see what the exit opportunities might be, um, and be creative about that, which takes time. Uh, and, And those, I think, are just basics, fundamentals of the science. Now, um, when it comes to picking winners, that's where you also have the art element. You need to have a lot of EQ, I think, to understand the founder's ability to take a company to scale uh, and the, if the founders have actually what it takes, so you'll be great and that's really hard to identify. So it's a muscle that you have to flex over time, and it's only, I think, with experience and seeing, seeing successes um, over and over that you refine your own approach and refine your own um, intuition around what is going to be a winning company versus a not
1: a winning company. All that said, there's no getting away from the role of luck in dictating whether or not a VC's investments are good ones or not. Here's Jason.
5: If you started a hospitality business in March 2020, you know, it could have been the greatest business in the world in 2017. Sorry for you. You know, if Airbnb had started in middle 2019, they would be out of business right now. They would have run out of money and closed their doors. Um, so there just is a luck component. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there, there's no way of of predicting the things that are going to go for you or against you. Although I do believe in the Gary Player, um, you know, meme that um, – you know, it's funny how people who practice harder tend to have more luck.
0: Some specific sectors within the wider tech landscape are inevitably more popular than others. The extraordinary growth in startup funding in Africa over the last couple of years has been primarily driven by fintech, with financial technology companies raising more than $1 billion in 2021, almost half the overall total. These impressive figures were driven primarily by Nigeria, which saw major rounds for the likes of Flutterwave, Kuda, Move and Fair Money, and accounted for more than half of fintech investment. Egypt's MNT, Halan, and South Africa's Yoko also contributed significantly.
1: Many other sectors are also growing at speed, with dramatic increases in funding evident over the course of last year for startups in areas such as e-commerce, retail tech, transport, logistics, and edtech. Yet fintech continues to shine the brightest. Miley explains why.
4: There is definitely a fintech frenzy across the continent, um, and but I think for good reasons. The reason that we entered this space is because we saw great potential in FinTech to um, advance the, the financial inclusion agenda. So really open up opportunities to create accessible and affordable solutions for segments that never had access to financial systems uh, and financial products before. Why? Because technology was driving costs down dramatically. Because mobile money rails made it now possible to have financial services at your fingertips on a smartphone. And um, and foundationally, access to financial services can unlock so much more for both households and small businesses. And this is why I think fintech plays a key role in any uh, economic sort of growth. Um, agenda to really fuel for the growth of other sectors as well.
0: It is important to remember that not all startups actually need venture capital. More on that later in the series. But if they do, what key fundamentals are VCs looking for when it comes to deciding whether or not to back a particular company? Here's Johan.
2: A venture capital firm typically is looking for a business that has uh, the Ability of becoming a category leader and delivering outsized returns. So this is a business that can be significantly uh, valued in the future. Where, if, for example, we see a business and they believe they can sell for fifty million dollars and they're raising money now to ten million dollar valuation, it is not going to be a great return when you factor in the risk, the time, and the amount of follow-on capital the business needs, which m- might be uncertain. So for us, we're looking at businesses where it's it's a Great team, ideally, who really understands the category they're playing in, who has some kind of traction uh, and evidence that they have a product market fit. They're operating in a market where they have a a huge TAM or a total addressable market. And there's evidence as well of follow-on capital in that market or in that category that they can continue raising capital and eventually get to a point where there can be a strategic exit,
1: uh, whether it's an acquisition or an IPO. So, that's what a VC is looking for in a startup. Yet, do startups often have misconceptions about what VCs want and indeed what a VC is going to do for them? Jason thinks yes.
5: I I find very few entrepreneurs understand VC well. Um, uh, More importantly, very few understand what it means to take on outside money, uh, outside investment in what used to be your company, but now is a company owned by multiple people in which you work.
0: We'll hear more from Jason and what happens after a deal is done later in this four-part series. In the meantime, Johan agrees startups often have misconceptions about VCs.
2: Just as venture firms need to really understand a um, founding team's business model and what they're building and, and how they can support them, I think it works the other way around as well. I think uh, startups should really try and understand what the incentives are for um, for a venture firm and, and how they make decisions. Um, I think the industry is more advanced now than it was before, but these misconceptions still exist.
1: lease also believes it's pivotal that entrepreneurs really get their investors and their motivations.
4: I think it's very important that entrepreneurs understand uh, the venture capital um, process and uh, that they engage with investors as a result of that understanding. This will help them choose, first and foremost, the right backers, uh, and because you have to be quite selective, I think on the entrepreneur side too, uh, of the investors that you have uh, on your board. And there are some misconceptions for sure out there. Um, for instance, that a lot of investors are only out there with the intention to um, seek their own returns. There's actually There actually are investors, as I was saying earlier, that value other types of returns. Um, and those may be ultimately more aligned with what entrepreneurs are also book, also looking to do.
0: Johan says startups are often confused as to what a VC firm's role is and their return expectations. Many of the conversations I've had, uh, founders will look at us
2: and say, well, I have a great business and I really think I'm building something significant, but it's super niche. It means they haven't truly really understood what the ventures, venture style um, uh, return expectations are. So uh, I just think there's a huge misalignment between uh what they see a venture firm's uh, role to be, which is just give me money so I can go and build something fun, versus uh, really help me build something significant that can be a category leader. Uh, the other part, I think, that is a misconception is just understanding how uh, how alignment works. If you look at a venture firm that needs to return capital to LPs, they need to exit at some point, and that's where there can be a misalignment, is if a team raises capital but then decides to build a business for 20 years... Because they believe that's what's in the best interest of the business, there will be a, a disconnect between
1: the source of
2: capital they've raised and the business that they're building.
1: Perhaps what startups need to get clear on is that, in actual fact, VC firms are actually an awful lot like, well, startups.
3: To a large degree, at some point, a VC firm is just another startup. You know, I mean, I think people often forget that. You know, if we look at our own business, Knife Capital. You know, it's uh, on the 1st of July 2010, We, my co-founder and I stepped into our own business for the first time, and and we didn't really know um, where the funding is going to come from long term, how, how this is going to work. We had to employ people. We had to build a brand, choose a name, um, and do all of those things to, 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 to build, t- take salary sacrifices. You know, investors expect you to invest your own capital behind um, these VC funds and businesses. And uh, yeah, that, that capital has to come from somewhere and uh, you bond your house and, and, and go for it. You know? So it, it very much is
0: a startup journey. My lease agrees.
4: First of all, we all have to fundraise like startups and get a lot of no's just like startups from LPs. Um, And you have to be nimble with your resources and because the management fees doesn't cover all that much. So you have to be creative in terms of how you structure your model so that you can leverage that capital in the best way possible. And I think in a way that maximizes value to the portfolio. We're very much about providing value to, to the portfolio first and foremost. Um, and to do that, when you're running with just a two percent management fee, you have to be creative. So, thinking about also your team and, and what team members you, you tap, um, and how you compensate them goes um, goes there. And, and, and that's really the creativity that you also have as a startup. And in addition, you also have to think about mitigating risks and um, market entry and portfolio composition. Which are all similar or akin to some of the critical business model decisions that entrepreneurs have to make as well. So I think there's a lot of parallel, and uh, and that helps building empathy between entrepreneurs and investors. Like we really often have the same struggles, um, but because you're sitting at and opposite sides of the table, uh, you fail to see that. Uh, and I think it's it's important to actually um, break that discourse and thinking around, yes, we are sitting on opposite side of the table, but we actually should be sitting on the same side. We're in this together uh, and, and that will build greater empathy and understanding between investors and entrepreneurs.
1: In the second edition of this series, out next week, We'll get into what happens at that table as investors and startups thrash out the terms of an investment deal before moving on to discuss the end of an investor startup relationship, which is hopefully a profitable one for both parties.
0: In the meantime, that's the end of episode one. We hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. Thanks again to our partners, Corona Capital, 10x Entrepreneur, Catalyst Fund and Knife Capital. And we hope you'll tune in again next week. Bye.
1: Bye.